We've been talking about freedom for the last three to four weeks. We had shared what the Israelites had been through, that they were in Egypt, in slavery, in bondage, and God raises up this guy named Moses who says, let my people go. And God begins to display his power and his majesty in the land of Egypt by laying out ten different miraculous things that truly get the attention of Pharaoh and the entire nation of Israel. And he brings out his people in a spectacular way, and they find themselves, one of my favorite stories, in front of the Red Sea. And God parts the Red Sea, and they go through the Red Sea on to freedom. Along the way, there were so many struggles with faith, struggles with understanding that they could really have freedom. And they find themselves in a whole nother place after they've come through all of this. And today, basically, I want to talk a little bit about freedom, and I want to talk a little bit about faith as those things kind of come together in this story that I want to share with you from Israel today. Israel found themselves, it says, they had set out from Elam, and this is in Exodus 16, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, or Zin, depending on how it's listed in your Bible. Same place. It says, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. On the 15th day of the second month after they had left. It had not been very long that they had been free, that they could have looked back and watched the Red Sea kind of wash over Pharaoh's army that had chased them, thinking through all the plagues that had, had taken place, the plagues of the frogs and the flies and the gnats and the water turning to blood and the, the plague of darkness, yet there was light. Remember in Goshen, that special place where God says, everyone else is going to be affected by this, but not you, Israel, not you, my people. And Israel saw all of the mighty works of God, and it had only been two months, just two months. And yet, this is what happens. It says this, that they get to this place, and it says, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. It had already it had only been two months, and they had already forgotten what God had done. They were questioning whether they were even going to be able to feed themselves. After everything that God had done for them, everything that they had seen, just two months later, they're already grumbling. They had already forgotten all the things that God had done. And as you read through the story of, of Israel, you see them continuing, continuing to grumble and continuing to test God, even though he had brought them out of Egypt and had given them freedom given them a brand new life, just completely new. The chains, the shackles are gone. And he says, I am, I'm going to take you into a land that's a good and a spacious land. It's described, it says, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
If you've ever watched the Veggie Tales, they'd say what? Sounds sticky, right? <laughs> Maybe you haven't. So that's good. I can use that. All right. So, but it was going to be a great place, right? Now we are free and we are headed to the promised land. We are headed to our very own place that God has prepared for us. And yet there was still work, even though they were free, that had to be done. You know, we sit in this room because of the grace of Christ as free people, forgiven, saved, redeemed. There's so many words that we can throw into the mix there to talk through and to understand. We are free because of the work of Christ on the cross, his death, and importantly, his resurrection that shows his power over all those things. The power like he showed in Egypt to, to do anything that he wanted, <laughs> to clean, clear the decks, if you will, and to remove his people and to give them freedom. We stand, we stand free, but yet, in the same way as Israel, if you will, there's a parallel here today, we have work to do. We have things to do really a little bit before we technically kind of enter the promised land, if you will. And so Israel has come through the desert, and they find them, themselves at this point where they're about to go into the land. They're about to enter into the land. And this is in Numbers chapter 13, and I want to share this, this story with you today. And so 13, 1, if you're with me, I might jump around, Justin, I'll try to guide you to where I'm at. If you get lost, it's my fault. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying this, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. And so Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord. And all of, the, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. And the Bible continues to list out this person, this person, and this person. And we're going to skip down, if you can find it, Justin, to verse 17. All these guys getting ready, all these leaders, one leader from each of the 12 tribes, we're going to go check out this promised land that we are about to receive. In verse 17, it says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And said to them, go up into the Negev and go into the hill country and see what the land is and, and whether the people who dwell in it are weak or strong and whether they are few or many and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds and whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are trees or not and be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. It says that now was a time, it was a season of the first ripe grapes. Go and check out this place. Go take a look at it. And so they went up and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob and near Libo Hamath. And they went up into the Negev and came to Hebron. Ahimon, Shishai, and Telamai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron, Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. It says, and they came to the valley of Eshgol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. When's the last time y'all bought grapes? I bought some yesterday. Okay? A single cluster of grapes, and says, and they carried it on a pole between the two of them. If you have to carry some grapes on a pole, a single cluster, we're talking about some pretty amazing grapes. Okay? This is just a taste of the land. 
And they also brought some pomegranates and figs. And it says that place was called the Valley of Eshkel because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. So you think they would come back saying, man, this land is great. God is providing something awesome for us. And let's see what, what happens here. It says at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us, and it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And he's going to be like, struggling to lift up that thing of grapes. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. God must have named them that way just so we could rhyme them as we read Scripture. They dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So they're like, yeah, it's good, but there's some really heavy stuff there. But Caleb... Caleb and Joshua, these two guys who were part of the 12, had a completely different heart, a completely different spirit about who God was. They were not two people that had forgotten everything God had done. So Caleb quiets the people before Moses and says this, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. We're well able to overcome it. You ever been in a group of people where it seems like everyone's kind of gone to one way, but there's just a couple people that are just strong in faith? Sometimes people hate other people like that. It's just irritating how much faith you have. And yeah, you're just, you know, like Caleb and Josh, you're just young pups. You're full of ambition. You know, look what happens here in this case. We're able to do it. We're able to overcome it. it. says, Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And we saw the Nephilim the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. So they spread this bad report, and they say, on top of which we see the Nephilim there. These guys were, if you look in, the best we can understand about the Nephilim is that they were giants, just huge, tall, strong people, if you will. And it says, we seemed like grasshoppers to them, and essentially they agreed, you know, we're just these little guys. How in the world are we going to go in and take this land? How in the world could we possibly go in and live in a land full of milk and honey when the Nephilim are there, when all the Anak, sons of Anak, and all these people are there? which again is silly, two months, just two months after they left Egypt. 
after they watch the ten plagues that God poured out on Egypt, after God literally parts a sea so they can walk through it on dry ground. Crazy. It says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron again, right? This is probably the tenth time. And they said this, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Can you just picture Joshua and Caleb wanting to go like, did you just hear what you just said? Really? You want to go back to Egypt? You want to go back to slavery? And they said one to another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Completely wanting to turn their back on Moses and really on the Lord to go back into a situation that he had just freed them from not two months ago. Now stop for a moment thinking, what kind of what kind of faith we have in the Lord? You know, we're, we want to point back, as I've thought about this and, you know, talk to the Egyptian or the, the Israelites, say, how in the world could you do that? We certainly never do that, right? We don't celebrate victories and things that God's done for us and then forget about them, right? That never happens to us. We never take the Lord for granted, the things he's done for us for granted, do we? Surely not us. Surely not us. Let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. It says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to the congregation of the people of Israel, by the way, tearing your clothes back then was just a sign of just complete throwing up your arms, like, okay, complete, like, what in the world is going on? Okay, it wasn't like a WWF moment. Okay, just want to make sure you understand that. <laughs> they tore their clothes and said to the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So you would think at that point, yeah, been reminded of how great and awesome God is, the freedom that he gave us, and the, the troops would be rallied, right? Let's go in, huzzah, you know, you know, here we go. And this is what happens. Then all the congregations said to stone them with stones. Wow. And this is great because God steps in, okay? But 
the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people, and he uses this word, despise me? How long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. How long? In spite of all the signs, out of, out of all the things that they have seen, how long will they continue to rebel? How long will they continue to forget who I am, forget all that I've done, to not know what I'm capable of? He says, and I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater, greater and mightier than they. Of course, Moses talks to the Lord, says, don't do that, okay? We skip down. I, wanna, I don't want to take all time just reading. In verse 20, it says, then the Lord said, I have pardoned. I don't know if you can find that for me, buddy. Yep, you're good. I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live. I love this. I have pardoned them according to your word, but truly as I live. And this is the Lord's intent here. I love this. As truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. They may not listen. They may not pay attention. They not, may not remember all the things that I have done. But surely this, the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. That's God's end game. There's a passage of Scripture, and I just blanked on where it's at. It actually comes up a, a few times in the Old Testament, and here's one of them where it says, the glory of the Lord will cover, cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Can you imagine that? It's just a, a great visual for me. God's glory will literally cover the earth. Everything there will be a time where everything will be made right. Because Israel was basically turning their back on him, essentially. Turning their back on their calling. Turning their back on what they were supposed to do as a people. It wasn't just for their freedom. It was freedom to do something. It was freedom to, to literally get away from Egypt and begin their calling to spread the glory of the Lord to the entire earth, for everyone to understand the great majesty and power of God, the great love and grace of God. That's always been the people of God's calling, to move forward with that and to show people how awesome, how loving, how great, as a song we sang, what a good, good father he is. But unfortunately, what happens, and we see this in the life of Israel, and I think sometimes we see it in ourselves, is that we, we often turn away from that calling when the, the giants are in front of us, if you will. The things that we face as we go through the week. You know, Diane and I got to escape from reality last week, you know, to the beach, and now Monday is tomorrow, you know, and she's like, there's going to be some work we have to do. There's some things that are, that are yet to be done. And I'm really speaking on a higher level with that when it comes to the things of the Lord. God has a purpose 
but he has called all of us to that. And we can never turn away from that. And you can just see the frustration, I'm sure, that the Lord must have felt saying, this is what I have for you. How can you forget? How can you not remember the 10,000 reasons, you know, that we sang about as well, of, of all the reasons to worship me and all the reasons to move forward? He's a good, good father. In Galatians chapter 5, I want to wrap up with this today. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. It says, for freedom, it seems funny that it even has to be said like this, but for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back there. Don't be telling me you want to go back to Egypt. Don't mistake how good the Lord says I really am, how powerful I really am, how much I love you, and how much other people need that freedom as well. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to yoke of slavery. In verse 13, if you can find that in that same chapter for me, Justin, it says this. It says also that, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You are called to freedom. You are called to to be in that land of milk and honey. You are called to be close to God. You are called to be the ones that, that spread his glory so that it fills the earth. You were called to that freedom. But the question is, what are you doing with that freedom? Right? Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. It's like, I'm, I'm saved, I know the Lord, and then, all right, that's done. Check. What else can I do? Got that in the bag kind of leave the calling behind and then just use your freedom or use the grace of God to just do whatever. We have bigger things in mind. God has bigger things in mind for us. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Later on in the chapter, it talks about the, the ways that we continue to, to mess up and to, if you will, turn away much like Israel did. And, and Israel forgot about God in so many different ways. And you see this later on through the entire story of Israel. It says the, the works of the flesh, it talks about the flesh, living by the flesh versus living by the Spirit. Living by the flesh is just doing whatever in the world you want. The problem is when you, you live that way, you're just hurting yourself. You're not helping yourself or whatever. So don't use your freedom to live by the flesh. But it says this, you need to walk with the Spirit. In verse 22, it describes what that looks like. It's uh, Galatians 5.22, if you can find it. But it says this, the fruit of the Spirit is this. This is what it looks like. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control against such things there is no law. 
that says those who belong to Christ have, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. True freedom. And you've probably just really sensed that in different moments where you've worshipped God or you've spent what we call a quiet time where you're just praying or you spent some time reading the Bible, talking to the Lord, or maybe a moment even here on Sunday morning. You kind of, you ever have just kind of that, it's more than a feeling, it's deeper than that, but it's the best way I can describe it, just kind of wash over you. You know what I mean? Where just everything feels okay. And it's not this temporary peace that we just have from sitting on a beach. You know, it's, it's the peace that comes even in the midst of some craziness, in the midst of some chaos, only because of the Lord. And, and this is, again, what it looks like. It's this love. The ability to have love for someone that irritates the snot out of you. You know? I'm not looking at an individual person. I'm really trying to be careful because that happens. You're like, was he talking to me? No, I'm just looking at people, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's love. It's joy, true freedom, right? It's joy. And joy is, is, is something that you have in the midst, because of Christ, in any circumstance. That only comes from one place. That only comes from Him. Joshua and Caleb got that. They, they had no fear to go ahead and run ahead and to take on those giants. They remembered what God had done. They had forgotten what God had done. They had that joy in the midst of that, <clears throat> the peace, patience. This is so huge. I'm reading this list for myself and for you, hopefully, that when you realize that you're not experiencing this, maybe it's time to get back on our knees. Maybe it's time to stop. It's time to slow down for a minute. Time to, you know, shake off the dust and get your head back in the right place. You know, Joshua and Caleb were there, but the rest of, of Israel had just saw the giants, if you will, saw the issues, and freaked out. If we're not sensing these things in our life, it's time to kind of stop and regroup, isn't it? To be reminded to go back to Him. Love, joy, peace, and this is the one I struggle with a lot, patience. I'm a New Yorker, so that's even harder for me. You know, patience, patience driving, patience with people, patience for situations, for something just to hurry up and happen, patience in figuring, you know, God, when are you going to handle this situation? You know, the Israelites were in slavery for a period of time. It wasn't as if God wasn't working. He was raising Moses up. Moses had some stuff to get done in the desert before God could use him to be a leader. And then they were wandering around in the desert. For good reason. There are some things we can only learn in those, those long extended times of patience. Another biblical term, the way that's described sometimes, is long suffering. Can you just can you agree with that? Patience is this long suffering. I'm just waiting and I'm waiting. We need that in our life. Kindness. Just the simple act. 
Now, these things are so easy to breeze by, aren't they? Just to read and just go, blah, 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 kindness. But do we have kindness? Are you a kind person? Sometimes, right? Not all the time? I don't know. I definitely have moments where I'm kind. I have other times where I'm probably just an irritable grouch. Don't nod your head, Diane. <laughs> Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. One of the things that kind of drew me to this passage in particular was is the passage in 1 Timothy where Paul's talking to Timothy. He's reminding him, he's telling him, you need to fan into flame the gift that God's put in your life. That's that, that check we were talking about a minute ago. Where's the patience? Where's the kindness? Where's all that? We need to fan it into flame, if you will, get our head back in gear. Because it says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear when we're facing the Nephilim, the giants. That's not from him. But a spirit of power, it says, it only comes from God. Power, strength, energy, focus, all that word means, if you will. Spirit of power and then of love, which is a word that can be broken down into so much, right? That captures that kindness, that patience, all those things is all a part of love. Power. Love. And then here's a biggie, self-control. The ability to stay restrained, the ability to stay focused. That's what God has given us. If it's not there, it's not because God's taken it away, it's because we've set it down for a while. I want to encourage you today to be people that remember all that God's done, to remember that he's a good, good father, to remember the 10,000 reasons and more of why we serve him, of why we follow him, of the vision that God has of his glory to fill the entire earth, and that he wants every one of us to be a part of that, and that we have the ability to. The spirit he's given us, if we are followers of him, says we have that spirit of power that only comes from him, love and self-control. Really, just about anything can be boiled down into those categories if you think about it. That's what God has given you. Don't forget that as you face this week ahead. Will you stand and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we're grateful for the freedom that you've given us, for the love that you show us, Lord, that, that our past is gone, as your word says. The old is gone and the new has come because you've forgiven us. You've given us a brand new life, and we thank you for that. Lord, let us not be forgetful. Let us always be grateful, and grateful with a purpose that you have given us. Lord, you've given us a spirit not of fear, it says in your word, but of, of, of power, of love, and self-control. Lord, help us to go out this week and to represent you well. Help us to go out this week and to, to really stop and to spend time with you. Let us not forget you. 
Lord, I pray you'd help us to, however it is that works best for us, you know us better than we even know ourselves. Lord, help us to really have those times, those quiet times, just time alone with you. Let us be faithful in that. Not so that we can check off a box and say we're spiritual, but so that we've had rich time with you. Lord, help us to be a part of, of sharing and spreading your glory on this earth. Lord, help us to see the bigger calling of, not, uh, of that you've given us and not just, well, we've got to go back to work tomorrow. I've got to get this report. I've got to do this thing or that thing. Help us to see the greater picture. Because, Lord, you're bigger than all of it. We love you. And we thank you for this morning together. It's in Jesus' name we pray.